Hi, I'm Molly Wood, host of CNET's Buzz Report. And I'm Tom Merritt, author of CNET's The Real Deal. Welcome to Buzz Out Loud, CNET's podcast of indeterminate length. I'm tired. I know. Man, you really are. You're so tired you couldn't even transport your body here. I couldn't. I couldn't tell if it was just like some sort of weird jet lag or just anyway. I think you've probably been replaced by a robot. You caught the robot sickness. Maybe. I wish I was a robot. By those then darker I robots. be so tired. Anyway, the reason I'm so tired is because I had to get up at 4 a.m. two days in a row and spend the whole day in the hot, windy desert, which was seriously the most awesome gig ever covering the DARPA Grand Challenge 2005. And this year, people finished. Yes. Or not people, robots. Robots. <laughs> no people. There were people in the chase vehicles. Yes, not only were there finishers, I believe five of them, someone actually won. Wow. I know. It was like a real live race, and so, these bots were no mess around. It's just almost amazing to consider how different this race was compared to the one they held 18 months ago where it was a 142-mile course, and the best robot only got seven and a half miles. Yeah, it's incredible to think that, the, I mean, I thought maybe one robot might get about halfway through. Right. Based on last year. Yep. And, and we got five finishing. Yeah, and the top three that finished, actually, two of them were Humvees from Carnegie Mellon, and then one was the Volkswagen Touareg from Stanford named Stanley, who was actually the winner. Um, they just cruised through the course. I mean, it was almost no problem for them. Dare I say, they made it look easy. I'm sure they would be horrified to hear that. But. Yeah, well, now, to people who may be saying, what's the big deal, explain to them what exactly the challenge was. Yes, yeah, so the challenge is to build a fully autonomous vehicle that can negotiate this 132-mile course through the desert. It was hairpin turns. It was, you know, mountain switchbacks with a cliff on one side and a drop on the other. It was totally rough terrain. And when I say autonomous vehicles, I mean these are not remote-controlled, and these do not have drivers. They are complete robots. You turn it on and say go. Yes. And after that, the, the vehicle has to find its own way there. Exactly. You program in the course. And so these vehicles have, like all these stereo cameras on the front and radar and laser guidance devices and various and GPS and all these different sort of positioning gadgets, you know, just bristling off the top of the vehicles to allow them to basically create this 3D image of the road in front of them and behind them as they travel. This is pretty amazing. It is unbelievable. There was a guy there actually who's a teacher who explained it brilliantly. I thought he said that it's, it's not even necessarily that they're seeing it's that, so say one of the laser systems senses a possible obstacle on the right. It can't necessarily tell how tall it is or how big it is. And maybe two of the onboard computers say, that's a tree, we shouldn't go that way. But four of them say, it's not a tree, it's just a little rock, it's going to be fine, let's go that way. And they kind of just do this algorithm to figure out what's going to be the safest path. Because, and that's, that's a good point, which is, yeah, they pre-program the course, mm-hmm. but... You don't know every single obstacle that might be on that road. It's the desert. Yeah, you have no idea. I mean, there could be huge rocks have fallen in the way. There could be, like say, the trees falling over, brush. I mean, I, I, I can't even adequately explain the challenges that There's they... There's cactus. Yeah, there was one vehicle actually by Team Ensco. They had this custom-built desert racer, and this thing was actually making a really strong run. Like, it started in the 10th position, and by the time it crossed the halfway point... It was already in the fourth position, and it was a speed race, not a cross-the-line first race. So had it finished, it had a good chance maybe of winning because it was just booking through the desert. And this poor thing, which was like 
so well built. It had 18 inches of clearance on each wheel. I mean, it was just the total desert dune buggy was taken out by basically a pinky-sized cactus that punctured its front tire. Oh, man. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, it was a stick Uh sticking out of this wheel. And it has, you know, big tractor tires. Right. And it basically just, it was heartbreaking. It just gets a flat tire, and then that's the end of that. And that was that was pretty much the story of the last one. But but now tell us a little bit about the winner. Who who won it again? Yes. Yeah, so the winner was the Stanford team. They had um, basically a stock diesel Volkswagen Touareg with you know seven computers all running Linux, and it was running on biodiesel. It was sort of the most interesting team. And they Stanley actually started in the second position behind um, Carnegie Mellon's Humvee. So Carnegie Mellon had two Humvees in the race, and they were the heavy heavy favorites. Stanley started in second, and right about noon, passed the first Humvee Highlander to take the lead. And Stanley had obviously become the crowd favorite <laughs> because it was such a cute little car. And, and his name's Stanley. The team, and his name is Stanley, which I just want to say is the name of my cat, so I loved Stanley right off the bat. Uh, and I think that team just really inspired everyone because they were just super into the technology and super geeky, and they want to they want to use autonomous vehicles to make roads safer. Yeah. You know, they're not into this kind of military because, you may know, the race was organized by the Pentagon, basically. Well, DARPA, the well, folks who brought us the Internet. Exactly. DARPA. Thanks for the Internet. So, um, yeah, so Stanley was uh, ultimately, ultimately the winner. It was not only the robot to cross the line first, but then finally after all the robots had come in, and finished, and in fact, the last one to finish didn't finish until Sunday because they paused it overnight. Oh wow! Yeah, so we didn't find out until Sunday who was actually the winner. But that poor robot out there in the middle of the desert alone. I know, all alone. That poor robot, by the way, though, is a thirty-two thousand pound truck. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody gonna mess with that. Yeah, I think no. it was doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> of all the ones to be stuck out there. All right, so you've gone a little robot crazy having been out there in the alone in the desert with a bunch of robots. I really have. <laughs> and so then today I've spent all today looking at other robot news and have found that, for example, NASA is already looking at robots in space and that maybe the crowds at the DARPA Grand Challenge were affected by the fact that also this weekend was the XPRIZE Cup Expo. Mm-hmm. And this is that competition to try to send a civilian vehicle into space. Yeah. And I guess apparently about 20,000 people were there. Wow. Yeah. So. Well, and somebody won that, correct? I guess someone did, maybe. Armadillo Aerospace. Yeah, right. Like on Slash Dot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although more exciting, one of the rocket engines um, blew up. Ooh, that's <laughs> fun. Yeah. Nothing blew up at DARPA. Well, I mean, we've had robots in space. I mean, that's what the rovers are up on, on Mars. But I think the uh, the cool thing about the story you're talking about with NASA putting robots in space is that they're um, astronauts. Yes. They're not. They're riding on the ships. They aren't the ships. Yeah, and they're even talking about a humanoid robonaut. I see the picture, actually. If you go to news.com, you can, you can see the picture. <laughs> and he's kind of scary. It, it looks, looks like a Vulcan. Yeah, like half Vulcan, half, half C-3PO. Or kind Cylon. Of. He's got C-3PO's coloring. He's mixed. <laughs> he's, mixed. he's not a purebred robot. He's mixed race robot. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's part Rottweiler, part C-3PO. So, yeah, that was absolutely, um, yeah, robots. Robots are where it's at. I'm All right. Excited. But, uh, you know, if we remember the Mollywood pre-desert, she always likes to talk about Apple, and oh. we have a little Apple story here today. I do have other interests. I know. <laughs> you're just you're just DARPA crazy today. Was, I'm telling you. Going through awesome. a Stanley. little withdrawal from I love Stanley. That Stanley. 
You stole Stanley. That's why you're on the phone. I can't stop thinking <laughs> about driving Stanley. across the United States <laughs> in Stanley, being chased by the feds, aren't you? I wish. <laughs> All right, but the uh, uh, this post on Slashdot as well. Korean Federal FTC. I, I, I'm actually I shouldn't say that because I don't know what FTC stands for in Korea. I assume <laughs> it's the same as the U.S. But the Korean FTC author uh, that regulates trade may be investigating Apple and Samsung for violating the country's competition laws, uh, according to this article on News.com. The Korean Fair Trade Commission chairman said that his agency could look into allegations that Samsung sold memory chips to Apple at below market rates. And this would be the chips that Apple used to power the Nano. Or not really power, but the memory in the flash memory in the Nano. In order to keep the nano's prices at one hundred ninety nine dollars and two hundred forty nine dollars, so yeah, which, even if you if you thought the nano price was a little bit high, it's actually not considering considering how much flash prices. memory. Yeah, that, I mean yeah. that's maybe one of the biggest flash memory devices on the market right now. Yes, very dishy. Will so the nano be pulled from the shelves? No. No. Nah. Come no. On. Now you're messing with Mad Dog Steve Jobs, and you ain't gonna win this one. Even <laughs> even South Korea is not gonna mess. with no. Jobs. I don't know. It would be interesting to see what happens with that. I have a feeling it's going to be one of these cases that lingers around in the courts for a right. long time. And, and then, then ultimately maybe it gets settled. settled out of court. And, yeah. Yeah. Unless creative modern-day warrior Sim Wong Hu gets a hold of that story. Yeah. He'll be launching some lawsuits, I bet. Maybe. Maybe he'll get involved. Then it'll become interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we also got uh, a posting over the weekend that I saw on Slashdot about... Uh, the record labels want a bigger cut of digital music profits. No big news there. But one example is if you typed in Madonna in the Google video site and the results that you get from typing in Madonna are accompanied by ads, Warner Music would like a share of those ad dollars, please, because you <laughs> used the name of one of their artists. What I, what I have actually started to kind of enjoy and respect about the record labels is that they're not even trying to pretend that it's not out and out greed at this point. Yeah. More money, more money, more money, more. Well, and just uh, they this this attitude coming out of Hollywood that we own anything we can possibly own right. in relation to our product. Yeah, exactly. Which, I'm sorry, but if I were a performer or an artist or a musician, I would be horrified by this. It's not like that money is going to go to them. It's not like the 70 cents or so that they want from every 99 cent out iTunes download is really going to benefit the artist, is it? Well, no, of course not. I don't know how, what the percentage is, but if, obviously the label keeps a percentage of it. They yeah. have to because of the cost and because they want to make a profit. And, in pro- and probably a large percentage. I mean, I would say at the point at which they're talking about getting, skimming some ad dollars off of websites that mention their product, none of that's getting back to the artist. Yeah, I, well, the, the the labels argue otherwise. They argue that, you know, obviously Madonna makes a lot of money, and it's because she was able to be developed by the labels who put out her, her music, and their marketing machines are the ones that can make someone successful. And we have not yet seen an independent artist become worldwide successful, become as rich as a Madonna, for instance. So, right. you know. It does make you wonder, That's the though, other side of the argument. That, yeah, and I guess the, the future of that argument is what you know we'll see we'll see whether the web really the web and satellite radio and things like that really do enable artists to to become as rich as madonna maybe the record labels know that the end is near and they're just trying to grab as much cash as they can before the party just i really shut down. i really think that has a lot to do with it is not even so much the end is near but they just don't know how to deal 
right. with the threat, especially because the threat hasn't materialized, right? Right. So they're trying to protect themselves from 100 million imaginary attacks mm-hmm. that they don't know which ones are really going to happen or are going to be successful. I mean, you think about it. The web has just, in the last two years, gotten to the point where businesses can safely launch online and make money. Right. So the sky's the limit on what is actually going to come out of web technology. We're in, we're in the infancy of it. Mm-hmm. There's fear and, of course, demonic greed. Yes. Yeah, when you combine fear and demonic greed, you get some interesting stuff. You get some, I think the only way to describe it is bad behavior. <laughs> <laughs> you get executives behaving badly. <laughs> a new show on Fox. All right. Speaking of which, we have a voicemail uh, from a bona fide self-described musician. Ah. Yeah, hi guys. I'm a, a musician and I have thought about this problem for a long time about the copyright business and I say, well, if uh, if it's more than five years old, do what you want to with it as long as you don't make a profit with it. And I'm be satisfied with that because uh, if he hasn't made his money in five years, it's not going to sell anyhow. So that's my take on the whole thing. Uh, talk to you later. This is Ken Reed. Bye-bye. Very interesting points. So, but the question there is, who? How is it determined whether you've made money? Do you have to put out some sort of statement to the SEC? <laughs> well, I, the way I understand it, he's saying whether you've made money or not. After oh. three to five years, you should be allowed to do what you want. But I mean, come on, if I'm um, Led Zeppelin, yeah, I don't, I don't want that because yeah. I'm still making money thirty years after right. my album came out. Yeah, I mean, I think you either make the choice to be a kind of Creative Commons type artist. From the get-go, From right? the get-go. Yeah. Or you don't. Because that's or, where you get the benefit. Right. Is up front when you try to get the word out. Right, exactly. And, you know, maybe there's some clause that gets written into, you know, the, into future Creative Commons licenses or something that says that that you can reserve rights for a limited amount of time. But it does, it's kind of, it's pretty complicated. It's a little tricky. Yeah, I, th- I, I agree. I think you either, you either go with it, like, like he's saying, free, as long as you're not trying to make money off of it. Right. You either do that from the get-go... Or you don't. Well, and if you heard our Lawrence Lessing interview on Friday, and I sincerely hope you did, um, you heard him say that it can help you build buzz yeah. to freely distribute your product from the get-go, and then maybe license it and copyright it later. We're saying from the get-go quite a bit now. Oh. We need to find out another huh. one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an alternative phrase for us to use instead of from the get-go, or uh, some other comment on anything we've talked about, be sure to email us, buzz at cnet.com, or call us. The phone number on your telephone, ancient technology, (laughs) but still works, 1-888-616-CNET. Thank you. All right, see you later. Bye.